Awesome. Well, welcome. Glad to be with you this weekend here at Big Valley Grace Community Church here in our online campus. And we have been in a series called Blessed. And the series Blessed is about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in the Bible in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So I want to encourage you right now to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to contact us. Contact us, contact Pastor Brandon. We would love to get you a Bible that you might have a copy of the Word of God on your own. And so feel, feel free to, to reach out to us. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands. It'd be our great joy to give that to you as a gift. If you've never been to one of our physical campuses, the Modesto campus or the Ceres campus, I just want to invite you. We'd love to have you, uh, not only here on the online campus, if, if you're able to and you're in the area, we'd love to have you be a part of one of our physical campus locations also. And so please, come be our guest. We would love to see you. Well, right here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, we see uh, a description of this scene where Jesus is teaching this sermon on the mount. And it begins like this. It says, seeing the crowds. Now, what's really incredible here when we see this phrase here, seeing the crowds, is when Jesus sees the crowds, he doesn't just see a lump as a whole, but he sees individuals. He sees the individuals that make up the crowd. And what Jesus sees when he sees the crowd is he sees potential. He sees potential. And as we walk through this passage of the Beatitudes, we're going to read all the way through the passage together. I want you to keep in mind that when Jesus sees the people he's speaking to, he sees the potential of what they could become. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus, when he sits down, that's the signal that he's going to begin teaching, and his disciples come to him. He had just started calling disciples. This sermon, this opening lines of the sermon here, these Beatitudes, it's right at, near the beginning of his ministry. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them. And when Jesus opens his mouth, it is God speaking. And as we hear the words that Jesus is going to communicate in these opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount, it is God speaking to us right now. So he opens his mouth and he teaches them. And what does he say? Well, I'm going to give you some framework for how we're going to look at all of what he shares in the Beatitudes. And this structure, I really owe to John Piper. Pastor Tim Gianosa, our, our series campus and I, as we've been studying together, we came across an article of John Piper's that laid out a structure very similar to this. And it thought, you know what, that's going to be really helpful as we look at the totality of the Beatitudes so that we can really set up this last Beatitude that we're going to look at together this weekend. So here we're going to look at the Beatitudes. We're going to see the Beatitudes in four phases. Four phases. And as we walk through these phases, we're going to walk through the Beatitudes to where we get to the last phase. And the last phase is what we're going to really hone in on together this weekend. So this first phase, phase number one, is emptying. And here we see Beatitudes one, two, and three. 
And in these first three Beatitudes, we see how grace is transforming you away from a life of sin. And thus the phrase emptying. It's like emptying out that which is sinful. And so why is it so important that right here it says grace? Why is it so important that it's grace that's transforming you away from a life of sin? Well, I think as we look at this together, it's going to be pretty obvious in this first phrase. Verse 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So in this first phase, phase one, emptying, we see grace transforming us away from a life of sin. And there's three beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek. So how are all these things connected to this idea of emptying? I want to give you a word, and the word is pain. Pain. Consider this. When you realize you're poor in spirit and you're spiritually bankrupt, there's a pain associated with that. Think about being financially bankrupt and the pain that's when you realize that you have insufficient funds. Well, from a spiritual sense, we have insufficient funds without Jesus. We get to this place of spiritual bankruptcy and there's pain there. Or how about with the idea of being broken over our sin, blessed are those who mourn. Being broken over the sins that I have committed, being broken over the sins I see others as they have committed sin, and that my heart would be broken over the sin that I see in my own life and in our world. There's pain involved there. How about uh, being meek? Being meek is power under control, and really it's a painful place to realize that I'm powerless and out of control and that I need to come to God to see his power and his control at work. These things can be painful. You know, there's an incredible story in Mark chapter 9 where a father brings a boy to, to Jesus, and this boy is possessed by an evil spirit in Mark chapter 9. And it says that this evil spirit was throwing this boy around. It was causing him to have seizures. It was causing him to foam at the mouth. It says that this evil spirit tried to take this boy and burn him in the fire. That this evil spirit tried to take this boy and drown him in the water. And the father's coming to Jesus saying, I need help. I need help. And something incredible happens. In verse 35 of Mark chapter 9, Jesus commands the evil spirit to come out of the boy. And right then, I'm thinking, okay, this boy is not going to experience pain anymore. But that's not what it says in verse 36, because in verse 36, it describes how this evil spirit begins to cry out and to shriek and to convulse this little boy before coming out of the little boy. And it says that the little boy, that he was lifeless. It was like he was left for dead. The pain of the sin, the evil spirit coming out of this little boy, it was incredibly painful to where he's left on the ground dead. And that's why it's so important that there's grace that's transformed. You try to do this on your own, you're gonna fail. You need the grace of God because the next verse, verse 37, it says that Jesus went, he took the little boy by the hand, he lifted him up and he restored him. We need Jesus to be there for us as our life is being emptied and transformed away from sin, a life of sin. We need the grace of Jesus to be there for us, to hold us by the hand and to pick us up and to restore us. That's phase number one is emptying. Phase number two is longing. Here we just look at one beatitude, beatitude number four. 
And this is where we see grace transforming you to actually desire holiness. You know, it really reminds us of what we were designed for. We were built for the kingdom of God. We were built and designed to be in relationship with our God. And here, we move from a place of being empty to a place of now longing. Think of it like an empty stomach is longing for food. We're now longing for Jesus. This beatitude is in verse six. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What's important to understand in this moment is there's a choice to make. There's a choice to make in your longing of what kind of diet you're gonna have. You gotta choose between two kinds of diet. Now, the Bible talks about a diet that's pretty grotesque. It's pretty gross. And in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, listen to this diet. It's kind of disgusting. It says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool that repeats his folly. Is that, that's a gross picture, right? A dog returning to its own vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And there's a choice to make. You see, when God does this work of transforming you away from a life of sin, and now you're in a place of longing, you wanna hunger and thirst for righteousness, you've got a choice to make. Are you gonna have a diet that to go back to your sin? Or are you gonna choose a diet to where you're gonna head towards Jesus. You know, there's a passage I challenge you to check it out. Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. In it, it says that we need to set our mind on things above. We need to choose the diet of Jesus Christ. We need to set our mind on Jesus. Not setting our mind on the sin that we longed for so badly, but to set our mind on Jesus, to choose the diet of Jesus. We will be dissatisfied if we just focus on sin but we will be incredibly satisfied if we focus on Jesus. In John chapter 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. The longing that will satisfy our hunger and our thirst, the deep hunger and the deep thirst we have, it is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Phase number two is longing. Phase number three is filling. We see Beatitudes five, six, and seven in this phase. And this is where we see grace transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. We were emptied, grace transforming us away from a life of sin. We're longing, grace transforming us to desire holiness. And now it's filling, grace transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of sanctification. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that we're a new creation. Why do we be, need to be a new creation? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that we were made in the image of God. So we were created and we were made in the image of God. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says we need to be made into a new creation, and that's because of sin. So because sin comes in Genesis chapter 3, the creation that we are, which was made in the image of God, we have a need to be made into a new creation which is why in 2 Corinthians verses, or chapter 3, verse 18, it says that we're all being made into the image, one image, the image of Jesus Christ. We're all being made together into one image, the image of Jesus Christ. God's wanting to restore us to the design 
that we were intended to be. And we see this in the next three Beatitudes, Beatitudes 5, 6, and 7. Blessed are the merciful, for you shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God is working to make you merciful like he is merciful. God's working to make you pure in heart like he is pure in heart. God's working to make you a peacemaker like he is a peacemaker. He's working in your life. He's sanctifying you. He's refining you. And when you are filled with mercy of God and you're filled with the purity of God and you're filled with the peace of God, you are gonna be satisfied. You are gonna experience true satisfaction that meets the need of your longing. You're gonna be filled as you long for Jesus. When we live pursuing a world of sin and we eat the meal of sin, it doesn't satisfy. And we've all been in the place where we pursued the world and we pursued the sin of the world and we ate the meal of the world and it left us dissatisfied. But the meal of Jesus Christ satisfies. As an image bearer of God, when we come and we hunger and thirst for Jesus and his righteousness, we are satisfied because it is the proper meal for the image bearer of God. Phase number three is filling. Phase number four is overflowing, and this is the last beatitude, beatitude number eight. And here we see grace transforming you to powerfully represent Jesus Christ. Now remember the image. Phase one is emptying. It's grace transforming us away from a life of sin. Phase number two is longing. We've got an empty stomach, so to speak, and it's a desire and a hunger and a thirst for Jesus and his righteousness. Phase number two is longing. Phase number three is filling. So we long for it, and Jesus fills our life with him. He fills us with his mercy, with his purity, with his peacemaking. And now that we're filled with the righteousness of Jesus, our life is overflowing. And what is overflowing in phase number four is Jesus. It's grace transforming us to powerfully represent Jesus. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a, a bit of a formula in each of these beatitudes. We'll explain it here. It's blessed are this godly characteristic for they shall receive this blessing. Well, the godly characteristic in this beatitude is the word righteousness. It's the word righteousness. That's the godly characteristic. And when someone is righteous, the blessing they receive is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is also true is that when someone is righteous and they're receiving the kingdom of heaven, it is quite possible they will be persecuted by those who are unrighteous for righteousness sake. Because those who are unrighteous will not like the fact that they are righteous and so they will persecute them for righteousness sake. The next verse explains, it says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What's overflowing in this moment is Jesus. And when people are persecuted for righteousness sake, 
They're persecuting the righteousness of Jesus. They don't like the righteousness of Jesus that is coming out of the righteous person, and so they persecute. And this persecution, it is the response of a sinner who feels overwhelmed, and I'm gonna use the term flooded, a sinner who feels overwhelmed and flooded by the righteous life, the overflowing life of a righteous person who's following Jesus. So persecution is the understandable response when somebody is so offended by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna explain here how that works. So we're gonna look at a life that is overflowing versus a life that is flooded. A life that is overflowing versus a life that is flooded. A life that is overflowing is overflowing with the righteousness of Jesus. A life that is flooded is experiencing the righteousness of Jesus overflowing out of someone else's life and it's reminding them of their own sin. In John chapter seven, Jesus uses this illustration. He says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It says, now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Holy Spirit of God is the righteousness of Jesus moving in our lives. It's the righteousness of Jesus flowing out of our lives. When the Holy Spirit of God is flowing out of your life, it is the righteousness of Jesus flowing out of your life. It is God flowing out of your life. God wants us to experience living water bursting like a geyser Water flowing up out of our life. That we would be overflowing for Jesus. Now, I want to share with you a true story of a life that is overflowing for Jesus. And the persecution that this life experiences as those who see the overflowing life feel like they're flooded as they come into contact face-to-face -face with their own sin. This is the story of Ravi. My name is Ravi. I am 11 years old. My family comes from the Madhya tribe. We are very poor. It is a hard life in a harsh land. But for me and my family, it was home until we started following Jesus. Yeah. 
People started throwing rocks on our house. They put dead animals on our doorstep. They stopped giving my dad work. They threatened me and my sisters when we went to the school. And they blocked our family from using the village water pump. So we ran away. We went into the forest, but my dad built a small mud house for us. We had lost everything, but we held on to Jesus, and Jesus held on to us. It was during our time in the forest when Miss Prima came to us. She saw me one day and asked me if I was interested in coming to a children's Bible club. So, when I saw Rohit on the road, I saw him and saw him. He was a very small child with his clothes and wearing his clothes on the road. I took him to my club. I started going to the club and I loved it. I made new friends. We sang songs together. I learned more and more about Jesus. When I asked Rohit about his family, Rohit told me that, Dad, our family has given us a message. So the village has given us a message. And the village has given us a message. So Ms. Prima came to the forest with her pastor. After a few months, they went back to a village to see the situation there. With their help, the tension there became less and eventually, they helped us move back home. We Today, we no longer face problems. In fact, some of the neighbors were so surprised that we would give up everything for Jesus. They become interested to know more. And now, with Prima's help, we have started a small church in our village, in our home. Because Rohit ke parivar mein Parmeshwar ne ho kaam kiya, to unke jiyon mein satawa aaya, aur satawa ke baad unhone gaon se nikal diya gaya. Jab wo gaon mein wapas aaye, to usi gaon mein unhi ke parivar mein. फिर से परमेश्वर की आराधना और स्तुति हो रही है इसीलिए मैं आज बहुत खुश हूँ कि रोहित के परिवार और उनके परिजन मिलकर प्रभु की स्तुति कर रहे हैं Mission India is one of our global reach partners. 
And when you bring your worship gifts to Jesus Christ at Big Valley Grace Community Church, uh, you are partnering with Mission India. And so you're partnering with what you just saw in that video. You're partnering so stories like Ravi's story are taking place. I want to share with you a passage to explain what's happening in Ravi's story and then connect it to really what is an opportunity for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. As Ravi's family comes to know Jesus Christ, they become a triumphal procession of Christ in that village. It says, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Ravi's family is now spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ throughout the village. It says, for with the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So Ravi's family now smells like Jesus to both those who follow Jesus and are saved and those who reject Jesus and are perishing. Ravi's family smells like Jesus to both groups. To one, a fragrance from death to death. The smell of Jesus on Ravi's family becomes the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. The smell of Jesus on Ravi's family becomes the fragrance of life to those who are being saved. One of the things that's fascinating to me in this video is the image of the water pump. The village has a physical water pump. And as Ravi's family comes to know Jesus Christ, as we looked at the scriptures, living water now starts to flow out of Ravi's family. And those who were really concerned about the physical water pump, they wanted to protect the physical water pump, they saw the living water source that was in Ravi's family as polluting to their physical water source. And so what do they do? They, they eject them. They expel them from the village. And so Ravi's family is now in the forest and God's grace is there for them, to minister to them, to help them in that moment. And we see how Miss Prima and the pastor and, you know, become to minister to them. And God does a work of grace because there's a living water source in Ravi's family. And they help them come back into the town so that that living water source would come back into the village. And God, in his grace, establishes a church in Ravi's very own home. And I think that image is really beautiful because the village, they were really concerned about the physical water source, but what they desperately needed is they needed the living water source. And so God in his grace, even through persecution with this family, works in this family so that that living water source can be in that village because that's where God wants the living water source to be 
is in that village. That image makes me think about our own neighborhoods. It makes me think about the places that we live. It makes me think about our residences. You, you may live in a home. You may live in a condo. You may live in an apartment. You may live out on a farm. You may live in the middle of the city. I don't know exactly where you live, but I'm guessing there's a physical water source in your residence that you have running water. You have a physical water source. Is there a living water source that's flowing in your neighborhood? Is there a living water source that's flowing in your apartment complex? Is there a living water source that's flowing at your farm? Is there a living water source that's flowing in the downtown of the city where you live? Because it's likely that your neighborhood's the same and that there's people who are highly focused on a physical running water source, but what they desperately need is they desperately need the living water source. And Jesus, in his divinity and in his knowledge, he has chosen for you to be in your residence, in your home, in your apartment, in your condo, on your farm. He's chosen for you to be in that location. Why? So that there might be a living water source in your neighborhood. Because while your neighbors, they're getting their fill of physical water, they are desperately parched for Jesus. And you are the living water source to represent Jesus in your neighborhood. Think about what happened in Texas where power goes out, water's cut off, and people are literally without power. They're without water. They go off the grid. Think of all the problems that have taken place in Texas because there was not power, there was not water. Well, what about the problems that exist because there's whole neighborhoods that are in a sense cut off from the grid of the goodness of God? We desperately need to be the living water source that God has designed us to be because our neighborhoods are parched. They're hungering and they're thirsting for Jesus. And God has placed us in our neighborhood so that his living water would be in us and flowing out of us so the goodness of God might reach our neighbors. As we close together, I wanna to share with you about a great ministry and that ministry is called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery has 12 biblical steps and eight biblical principles. I wanna share with you one step and one principle. Celebrate Recovery step number 12 says this, having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. God is working in our life. He empties us. He puts a new longing in us. He fills us up and we're overflowing and it's time to overflow in the presence of other people. Celebrate Recovery, biblical principle number eight. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and my words. And it's based on this beatitude right here, Matthew 5.10. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to remind you of the thing I started with. When Jesus saw the crowds, he didn't just see a lump of humanity. He saw individuals. And when Jesus saw those individuals, he saw the potential for the kingdom of heaven in those individuals. And as he teaches through these beatitudes, he's inviting the crowd and he's inviting us right now into the fullness of the potential that God has designed for our lives. That we would see every one of these beatitudes as for us, as God wanting to work and move us through phases in our life, that God is drawing us to a place to where we might live overflowing for Jesus Christ. When Jesus sees you, Jesus sees the potential for the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus sees your life, Jesus sees the potential for you to be a source of living water overflowing out of the place that you are. That you might be a piece of the kingdom of heaven right here on planet earth. Father God, Lord, thank you for our time in the scriptures. Thank you that we had an opportunity to hear Ravi's story and be challenged by that. God, as you continue to draw us to places to live for you and to, to live out our faith for you, God, we're asking, Lord, would you overflow out of our lives? Would we be a people of God who are led by the Holy Spirit of God and that the Holy Spirit of God would be like rivers of living water that are flowing out of us. Whether we're in our homes, in our neighborhoods, whether we're at work or we're at school, that we would be a vessel that the source of the living water would be flowing out of us and overflowing onto other people. God, thank you. Thank you for the potential that you see in us for us to be a people of the kingdom of heaven. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's family said, amen.